How's it going, my fellow history scholars? Welcome back to the podcast where we talk about the unanswered questions of history and unravel the mystery of the many questions we ask about our past. Before we begin today, I'd like to remind you guys to check our Facebook page for information on the po- on the episodes, as well as to ask questions and stay up to date on information concerning the podcast. Don't forget to show your support for this podcast by donating on Anchor, the awesome podcast server we use to make all of these episodes possible. And in the end, we'll give some shout outs to those of you who have already liked the Facebook page, and uh, we thank you for the growth it has already been experiencing. All right. We got Ian back with us today. Ian, you want to say hi? Yeah. Uh, hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, today, hopefully, we'll finish up our series on the Civil War and Confederate treasure. Yeah, we're going to be starting off with uh, the Knights of the Golden Circle's connection with uh, Lincoln assassination. It should be interesting. Hopefully, we can uh, wrap it all up today. And then uh, I got another interesting series waiting in the queue for you guys that I think you might enjoy. So. All right. Let's jump right into it. Yep, let's jump right into it. All right, now we'll get into Albert Pike and the Masonic Connection. Uh, This is very interesting, and the Masons play a very important role with the KGC, as we'll see uh, through Albert Pike, but also through many other means. The KGC itself was very much a fraternal offshoot of the already existing order of the Freemasons. The guys know who they are. They're a fraternal organization dedicated to brotherhood and uh, ritualism. And uh, the Freemasons started in America really around the, the Revolutionary War. And it's interesting that the KGC started around the Civil War. So we very much see the development of fraternal organizations organizations in our country around these times of warfare so i found that interesting yeah i believe it's like uh related with the idea that they all have these very strong uh, influences and they want to be able to spread their influence and their ideology ideologies across the across nations and war is when these ideologies really conflict with each other and uh really grow into like societies exactly all right, so this influence of the Masons on the KGC, it really can't be overlooked, and uh, it's highly influential, and uh, this was primarily because of a man known as Albert Pike, who was one of the highest-ranking Masons in America at this time, being a 33rd-degree Freemason of the Scottish Rite Southern Jurisdiction, or the, the Scottish Rite of Freemasonry. So Freemasonry is divided into two rites, the, the Scottish Rite and the York Rite. You can uh, you can go through each path, and uh, Albert Pike became. I think he went through both actually, but he came he became more well known with the Scottish Rite. All right. And you mentioned there, uh, Albert Pike was a thirty third degree Freemason, which is the highest possible ranking he can get. So does that make him the a leader of the Freemasons? Like, uh, would he be? Uh, like the top commander? Yeah, he he definitely eventually was. He was a sovereign grand commander after a guy named John Quitman passed away, and we'll get into him. And uh, Albert Pike, he rose through the ranks of Freemasonry in the Scottish Rite, and that's where he became more well-known. Uh-huh. And 33 degrees is a, seems like a lot of things to rise through. 
Well, that and that's just for one one path of Freemasonry. That's just for the Scottish Rite. There's still the York Rite and uh, appendant bodies. We could probably do a whole episode on the Freemasons, but there's a uh, there's tons of different paths. And uh, as some of the brothers in Freemasonry say, uh, once a Freemason, always a Freemason. So. Yeah, look forward to a, a Freemason episode in the future. Yep, that should be interesting. All right, getting back into the the KGC though. <laughs> Uh, free, Freemasonic secessionism was spread throughout the government in order for the Confederate states to break away from the Union. One of these people was John Quitman, as we were talking about before, who was the father of Mississippi Freemasonry and the leader of Southern secessionists representing Mississippi in the House of Representatives. Quitman was to be the next sovereign grand commander of the Scottish Rite Southern jurisdiction, but suddenly died on July 17, 1858. Albert Pike conducted a Lodge of Sorrows and a year later filled the post that Quitman would have, or the Sovereign Grand Commander, and uh, became one of the leaders of Southern Successionism, and uh, as well as one of the highest ranking Masons in the Scottish Rite. Well, actually, the highest ranking Mason in the Scottish Rite, because the Sovereign Grand Commander was the leader over, the Sovereign Grand Commander was the leader over the Scottish Rite, essentially. Uh Uh, the highest you could go in the Scottish Rite body of Freemasonry. Now, was Quitman's death unexpected, or was it old age? Um, I'm not. I think it was unexpected. Oh. But interesting. I'm, I'm not sure. I didn't look much into him. But that it's really that important transition there from John Quitman to Albert Pike, because Albert Pike, as we'll see will be very important in the founding of the KGC. Yeah. He was very much almost like a founding father of the KGC. Uh, especially with his, uh, his uh, ideology of the, of the, uh, from the South. Exactly. From a Southern uprising, I should say. All right. So especially during the Civil War, there were tons of Freemasons and Freemasonic KGC members like Albert Pike. And, uh, or, sorry, Albert Pike would become the most notable of them. He was one of the leaders of the KGC and one of the leaders of the Freemasons. So he had both connections there, which is very interesting. And in June 1861, uh, even Mark Twain, get this, would also be a Confederate soldier serving in the Marion Rangers and be a known Freemason. Uh, so we don't know if he was in the KGC, but there were tons of interesting connections, to say the least. Between uh, between Freemasons and the KGC. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if it was. Uh, the the KGC was very much a Poseidon Masonic order, or a uh, or descendant of the Masons, or offshoot. So that's interesting. Even Mark Twain. <laughs> All right. Albert Pike had likely instigated the process of successionism immediately following Lincoln's election in 1860, because as we were talking about, Lincoln was the abolition president that they they despised very much, as we talked about in the, the KGC propaganda poster in the last episode. And uh, on the 20th of December, 1860, the state of South Carolina 
with uh, the headquarters of the then Southern Jurisdiction of Freemasonry, because the the Southern Jurisdiction of Freemasonry is now in Washington, D.C., or it's called the, the House of the Temple. And uh, that was the first state to succeed. South Carolina was the first to succeed. So it's interesting that the the Southern Jurisdiction headquarters were actually in that state, being the first one to break away. And uh, on that same day, actually, the state of Mississippi, whose secessionist organization had been created by Scottish right leaders, uh, most notably John A. Quitman, whom we talked about earlier, followed South Carolina's lead and uh, thus began the process of the breakaway from the Union of the Confederate States. So the, their secession from the Union started with Quitman, but Albert Pike really took the, took the reins after he uh, died. Yeah, exactly. Like we were saying, uh, John Equipment was supposed to be the Sovereign Grand Commander, but then died, so Albert Pike took his place. I, I found it interesting that uh, the order of the states breaking away had uh, very much to do with uh, their Masonic influence, because South Carolina had the headquarters of the Scottish Rite and was the first one to break away. So it's interesting there. I'm not I'm not supporting any factual connection, but it's a it's an interesting coincidence. All right. So President Buchanan, uh, he was before Lincoln, obviously. Uh, he had actually ordered the Allegheny Arsenal at Pittsburgh to send 113 heavy Col- Columbia cannons and 1132-pound cannons to the unfinished, undefended U.S. forts at Ship Island, Mississippi, and Galveston, Texas, where they could be seized by the insurrectionists. So that's interesting there. President Buchanan actually made an order that essentially, in a way, gave the Confederate States cannons and uh, stuff to defend them with at the U.S. forts in Mississippi and Texas. So I found that, that I found that connection interesting. An inter- interesting contradiction of uh, president's uh, president succession. Right, President Buchanan almost looks like he was a a Confederate sympathizer himself, and then Lincoln was very much the opposite of that. Yeah, he's very much a Union sympathizer and an abolitionist as well. Uh, Buchanan was actually a Freemason as well. If you guys didn't know that. So that's, again, the Freemason connection that we have with the KGC or the Confederate States of America in itself. So it's interesting. I did not know that. I mean, I would, uh, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if she was also uh, had, was influenced by the, the Knights of the Golden Circle. Yeah. I wouldn't doubt it either. So on December 22nd, 1860, the state of Florida succeeded from the Union, and uh, it was led by David Levy Uli, uh, who was a member of Hayward Lodge Number no. 7. And uh, on January 2nd, 1861, Georgia secessionism was led by two Freemasons, Howell Cobb and Robert, Robert Toombs. Louisiana secessionism uh, occurred on January 7th, 1861, led by two Freemasons, John Slidell and Pierre Soule, and backed by thousands of armed knights of the Golden Circle. And uh, they actually forced Texas and uh, Governor Sam Houston to, to succeed on February 1861. So the leaders of the secessionism and uh, 
the order of the states and how they broke away from the Union were all influenced by Freemasons as well. Wow. So, yeah, they, they just really, like, took the reins. Like, he was forcing the governor to succeed. The forcing the governor, governor of Texas to succeed, um, that's just really interesting to me. Right. They, they, had, they had influence over the government themselves. Yeah. So all of the other ones were Freemasons, but I, I don't think Sam Houston was. And so that's why they forced Sam Houston to break away, too, in Texas. So this was very much a... Um, I, I don't, I'm not putting shame on the Masons, but it's funny how all of uh, all of the leaders of the successionism were were Masons, and the interesting connection between the KDC, the Confederate States of America, and the Freemasons. Yeah. All right. Now that we got that, let's actually get into the the Confederate Treasury Depositories itself. All right, you ready, Ian? Yeah, I'm ready. Should be interesting. Let's do it. Two live. Oh, <laughs> it is rumored that after the end of the Civil War, the Confederacy and KDC had a vast hoard of treasure, gold, silver, and ammunitions that they were going to use to create the Southern Empire to rise again. Uh, this is getting into the Confederate treasure depositories. Um, but unfortunately, they had to hide this treasure from Union forces after Lee surrendered at Appomattox Courthouse. Appomattox, and uh, as the pressure began following the Civil War. Nobody, however, knows what happened to this vast treasure they supposedly had. Exactly. They had a military, they had a government, they had a, a whole economic system, so they had to have a treasury too. Because if they were going to be a new nation like they wanted to be, they needed to have currency and they needed to have money. But all of that money was obviously void to the United States, so all they had to do with it was to hide it. And uh, this was mainly hid by uh, members of the KGC throughout the country, and uh, nobody really knows what happened to it. Happened to it even till today. There's been uh, many theories that have developed, and uh, people who have gone out searching for it, and uh, some people have come back with a uh, with uh, actually some good hordes of it. But uh, yeah. the 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 exact amount is uh, it's very vague. We don't know how much they had, and uh, we we hardly even know if they had it where they where they would have hit it. So uh, it's very one of those, very much one of those big histories mysteries that has yet to be solved, and one of those big questions that has yet to be unraveled. Yeah, and. Um... Yeah, just they they hit it so well that there's several methods that have been uh, that have been utilized to try to in proposition for finding this treasure, the, their Confederate treasure, and where it might be. But in order to look for the Confederate treasury, one must first realize that it is not all in one place. And as the old saying goes, you never keep all your eggs in the same basket. Yep, you never Instead, keep your eggs in the same basket. Exactly. Yeah. Instead, there are tons of different places the treasure is reported to be, and tons of theories on whether the KJC would have hidden it on where the KGC would have fit in Now we will talk about some of the most interesting of these theories. All right. And before we get into that, uh, I do like that saying, you don't keep your eggs all in one basket. So uh, very much uh, the movies will show that, uh, like National Treasure, they they showed that the, the KGC had this great wealth from uh, from the city of Cibola, and that it was all kept in one place. But no, in, in reality, it was hidden all throughout the country and uh in in the north and the south and uh even in Canada 
and uh, as far south as Mexico. So they I mean, yeah. they really scattered their their treasury out. And uh, I'm the and, idea of doing this was really brought up because uh, if uh, if groups in the area knew where to look for it, if the KGC members knew where to look for it, they could organize around that, and uh, they could do the same thing in different parts of the country without having to ship or move the currency from place to place. Yeah, exactly. And remember, the Confederacy uh, ideals themselves were that the government was among the states, so every individual state would have their own version of treasury and wealth to go along with it. If not more than one. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, getting back to the theories, we're going to jump right into the lost Dutchman's mind. All right. This one is one of my personal favorites, actually. It's a very interesting story. And uh, it's very much in itself one of those unsolved mysteries of history. So located somewhere in the Superstition Mountains, east of Phoenix, Arizona, there is supposedly a mine with a legendary mother load of gold, possibly KGC in origin. So actually, we don't even know if it's KGC, but uh, a lot of speculation has shown that it very may have been KGC. And uh, the gold, <clears throat> the gold was, the gold will supposedly only be revealed through a series of inscribed runestones, which come together to make a map. And the origin of this story comes with a man known as Jacob Waltz, who is a Deutsch man, uh, as German, not Dutch, not Dutch, Deutsch. Uh, that was, uh, <clears throat> I only mentioned that because that was a common ear with the name. A lot of people think that uh, it was an actual Dutch man's mind. But no, it was a it was a German man's mind. It's really our our modern word should be the lost German mind. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's a little bit interesting there. Yeah, there's a, lot, a little bit of a translation there. Well, I not even that. I think it's just misunderstanding because Deutsch is German. So. Yeah. Um, Jacob Waltz himself had actually immigrated to the U.S., and uh, from the 1860s onward, he had homesteaded in Arizona, and uh, he pursued mining as a passion and uh, prospecting, and uh, ultimately fell ill and died in 1891. But he didn't die before revealing the location of the alleged gold mine to one Julia Thomas, his neighbor who was caring for him, and uh, some think that the Lost Dutchman's mine actually belonged to a rich Mexican family known as the Peralta. And uh, we have what's known as the Peralta Stone, or uh, the three inscribed runestones that I was mentioning earlier that uh, supposedly make a map or uh, provide clues to where this actual lost mine was. And uh, supposedly Jacob Waltz uh, heard about the mine and uh, had received the three ins inscribed runestones from the Mexican family, the Peraltas. It's very, it's very interesting looking at the history of, of runestones and the the, the symbolism behind them, like how they would map out location to the treasuries within their own uh, inscriptions. It's, it's a very interesting uh, aspect of history. Yeah, exactly. And I say uh, I say runestone, but it's not runes like you would think Viking runes. It was uh, it was drawings, and it was uh, odd symbols that were sketched or etched into the stone that uh, nobody's really been able to decipher but supposedly once you do you'd be able, you'll be able to find the mine almost like a map of sorts yeah exactly so it not actually very much was a map there was a there was what's called the heartstone and the heartstone actually fit into place 
in uh in another stone because there were three of them and it actually fit in place to uh make a whole map so actually you had the two stones and when they were separate you couldn't understand them but when they when the heartstone fit inside of the the other rune stone it made a map so it's kind of interesting there the way that they were able to hide this and the methods they came up with uh pretty much encoding their treasure to only those of the KGC who would know where to look for it. Yeah, that's a uh, very interesting. Uh, the, the KGC would do that. It's like, I wonder if um, any, uh, any, any uh, younger generations of the KGC would still have any information regarding this topic. Yeah, I wonder, because there are actually supposedly still members of the KGC around today. So that's that's interesting in itself. The whole uh, the whole South will rise again thing. Uh, I'm sure it's very much supported by them. <laughs> <laughs> as much as uh, as much as we Northerners or Yankees, as they call us, uh, might make fun of us. It's it's interesting. So, yeah. uh, actually, it is possible that the tale of the Lost Dutchman's Mine may actually have originated originated in the tales of the Lost Apache's Gold. So, uh, there is multiple theories as to uh, the origin of this treasure or this mine because uh, nobody really knows for sure exactly the true origin. And uh, so, there's several theories, uh, even to uh, even to its origin, besides uh, who had ownership over it. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was another theory that it was maybe part of the Lost Apache's Gold or uh, what was known as Dr. Thorne's Mine because uh, the Apache and their famous chief Geronimo were supposedly the only ones who knew of a very rich gold mine in the Superstition Mountains. So it's interesting that uh, the the Apaches may have even had some of this lost gold. And uh, we were talking about in, back in the spanish treasure episode the connection with uh, native americans and uh the long-held belief that they had some hidden wealth of gold or silver that uh that these europeans were desperate to figure out where it was and if it was true and uh, that theme was very much carried over into the civil war as we see with the apache and uh the kgc who may have thought that uh the mine was uh was Apache in origin and that it was Apache gold. So again, that theme of uh, native American tribes supposedly having this rich wealth of gold and silver that the Europeans so desperately went after. Yeah. Kind of referencing uh, the Spanish treasure fleet, like these ancient civilizations had so much wealth uh, because of the, the rich land that they built their, their civilizations upon. Yeah, exactly. The whole, uh, even the whole development of uh, cities of gold. Like I was talking about, national treasure brings up Cibola. Cibola was actually a was an actual legend. It was based on uh, seven cities of gold. That there were seven of them, and that they were scattered throughout the continental United States. And uh, it's it's one of those interesting uh, enigmas and uh, interesting fantasies that. Yeah. People have come up with over the over the ages to explain how uh, some of these civilizations were able to grow to such an extent. This really, uh, the uh, the Cibola legend uh, really rose with uh, 
the Pueblo people in uh, the Four Corners area. So Arizona, New Mexico, uh, Utah, and which one am I forgetting? Colorado? I think uh, Colorado. All right. Yeah, so that area. That's where the Pueblos were. They were the people who built their, uh, built their houses high up in these cliffs. And uh, it was supposedly those people who uh, who knew the origins of the seven cities of Cibola. So we see yet another interesting Native American theory with uh, them having gold with the Apache and Dr. Thorne's mind, or at least one of the origins of what they think might have been the, the Lost Dutchman's mind. Yeah. So the, the whole Dr. Thorne's mind story, uh, it really started up after an army doctor by the name of Thorne, obviously Dr. Thorne, was later shown the mine by an Apache chief who, for treating his ailments, was taken to the mine blindfolded and allowed to take as much gold as he could carry. So essentially, Thorne made it back, and uh, he actually took some soldiers about the mine. All right, sorry, he told some soldiers about the mine who went out and they tried to look for it, but ultimately came up in vain. So he was uh, supposedly revealed this mine by uh, by the Apache chief who. He, he had healed of his ailments, and uh, after that, nobody knew what happened to it. That's a very intriguing story. Like he was, he was blindfolded as to not uh, know the location of the mine, but he was he was allowed to take whatever he could carry. Yeah, exactly. So he had the he had the physical proof. He just couldn't tell people where it was. Yeah, he just didn't know the location. That's a very interesting and uh, effective way to hide your. Hide your, hide your riches. Yeah, exactly. I found that story. Yeah, I found that story interesting. All right. So uh, today, still, nobody really knows where this mine is, but curious connections have arisen, suggesting that the KGC and Confederate forces might have had control over it, and that at one time it was actually used for its wealth to help fight the Civil War. However, until the mine is found, uh, we can really never know for sure. So uh, it's one of those great questions of history. Uh, if the Confederates were able to fight this war, the Civil War, and the KGC were able to support them, how were they able to support them, and where did they get the wealth to do so? Well, this is one of the, maybe one of the origin stories of how they did that, but we don't really know for sure. It's very possible because uh, we know that they were, they we know that they were active in the Superstition Mountains area. Exactly. It would be a very uh, logical explanation. But, like I said, again, we'll really never know for sure until we find the mine. Yeah. Until I find the mine. No. <laughs> until, yeah, until, until you find the mine. <laughs> All right. Let's jump into another interesting theory. The Curse of Civil War Gold. Yes. This one's very interesting, actually. All right get back into it uh this was another theory that is proposed by kevin dykstra and his team and that has now been turned into a history channel tv show called the curse of civil war gold so that's the name uh it's a tv show where they actually believe there is a confederate box train at the bottom of lake michigan so it's an interesting theory it like uh we were talking about the kgc and they had operations even as far up and as into the north so this Confederate box train may have made it all the way up to Lake Michigan, as they propose. Yeah, it would certainly be a 
certainly be an interesting thing if that was actually ended up being proven true. And this train was supposedly carrying the Confederate treasure along with it. Yep. So you imagine the the generic boxcar of a on a train. It it was pushed off a barge into uh into Lake Michigan, supposedly, as their theory goes. Pushed off or pushed off. Wow. Oh, to hide it. That's that's a very interesting theory. Uh, in 1865, the Union Army's Michigan 4th Cavalry captured Confederate President Jefferson Davis just before being arrested by Union forces. Actually, supposedly David, or sorry, Davis had hid a cache of gold, and uh, he had downed a woman's clothes in an effort to get away. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's a very uh, vile effort. <laughs> So he actually, he like very frantically buried it and then he grabbed some woman's clothes and he tried to walk out like he was a woman. <laughs> Excuse me, boys. <laughs> yeah, but as you can, as you, as you can, uh, as you might assume, it did not work out as well as he hoped. Yep, because uh, the soldiers... However, obviously, they caught Davis, and uh, they ended up confiscating the millions of dollars in Confederate gold and silver that he tried to bury. And uh, they actually, they took the president, Confederate President Jefferson Davis, and uh, they smuggled the loot nearly a thousand miles back to Michigan using the railway system and then laundering it through the banking system. So it was conspiracy by the Union troops. The oh. the KGC it was it was their it was their treasure it was Confederate treasure it was very much their own, but the but Union they're... took it for themselves, yeah. and they they tried to pass it through the banking system and make themselves rich. And uh, awesome. this was the the Michigan Fourth Infantry Cavalry, and as we were talking about, that boxcar was pushed from pushed off uh, the shore of Muskegon, Michigan, into Lake Michigan. So, there you go. So, where exactly does this uh, box train legend come from? The box train, uh, it actually comes from the fact that there was a barge sailing on Lake Michigan along Muskegon. And actually, an eyewitness had saw from a lighthouse a storage container or boxcar being pushed off the back of the boat. We were talking about that barge earlier. Yeah. And uh, this supposedly grew with the legend of Charles Hackley stealing the Confederate treasure. So, Hackley was a... A rich, I believe, yeah, he was a he was a rich lumber baron, but we don't know if he got all his money just from being a lumber baron. Maybe he also got it from another source, this Confederate treasure, and that they don't know. Yeah, because uh, he was a millionaire. He was very much a a philanthropist, and uh, like I was saying, he made his fortune as a lumber baron and banker. But that was supposedly, uh, maybe supposedly he caught wind of the Confederate gold moving through Muskegon and uh, working with prominent Michigan men actually planned to steal the cache of gold for himself. Wow. Interesting uh, development we have here. Charles Hackley trying to steal the Confederate gold for himself. Yeah, so he's... How did he? Do you know how he came upon this uh, gold? It was moving through Muskegon, yes. But do you know exactly how he uh, he might have caught wind of it? Yeah. He, well, he was a man of the man of Muskegon, so 
uh, pretty much any news or anything that went on in Muskegon, he easily probably heard about. And so it's it's no doubt that he heard about if they had brought it this far, as suggested by the theory that he had caught wind of this. And uh, he actually knew that the Confederate gold was passing through Muskegon at the time. So that would make a lot of sense. Like nothing gets passed without him knowing about it. So that would be a very, uh, a very viable theory. Well, yeah. And you got to consider that uh, Hackley was very much a, uh, he wasn't the founder of Muskegon, but he built Muskegon into what it would later become or what it is today because uh, he built libraries, he built schools, he built tons of public works and projects. And uh, he was really the man that grew Muskegon. So everything that went on in Muskegon, he pretty much knew about. Yeah. And uh, I've actually, I've watched the show before. It's pretty interesting. And uh, I haven't watched it all the way through. Uh, I think they might have actually canceled it now because... That I haven't seen it on TV anymore, but it was it, it was a very interesting theory, and uh, they did a lot of diving, and uh, they actually found a uh, they found wood or uh, they found some kind of structure of in Lake Michigan because they were doing some diving work out of Muskegon, and uh, I don't know if they ever came back conclusively with what it was, but they did find some kind of wreck. Yeah, and it was it was definitely uh, aged wood as well. Yeah, so it it definitely could have been the the boxcar. Yeah, it did, about. It, did, it did date back to the time of the Civil War. Or well, just, they just couldn't exactly recognize it. They it it's hard to recognize. You got to remember it with uh, hundreds of years of rust and decay. What this yeah. kind of stuff is. <laughs> that's the that's the big. Thing with diving you could find a wreck but uh if you're not able to identify it then uh then what's the point yeah that's basically valueless if you miss by an inch you miss by a mile that's another good diving saying and uh they got really lucky that they even ended up finding that so i think uh i think they did pretty well with uh all the work that they did kevin dykstra and his team uh they really put in the research and uh it was interesting the show that they were able to produce yeah and uh, if you guys want to go check it out, I I highly recommend it. I found it I found it fairly interesting. It's actually an kind of like an offshoot of a uh, curse of Civil War gold. So that's the the prefix with the the curse of. And uh, Marty Lagina, actually, uh, he he made some appearances on the on the TV show, and he actually he actually helped them a little bit. And uh, a good guy I know uh, by the name of. Uh, John Chatterton. John Chatterton, yes. I think you're going to mention him. Actually went out there and uh, he did some diving work, work with these guys and uh, tried to find the tried to find the ships. Or not the ships, but the, the Confederate boxcar. Yeah. And uh, if you guys haven't checked out John, uh, yeah, definitely go check out him because uh, he's, a, he was a very, he's a very interesting dude, to say the least, and uh, I might be working for him sooner than oh, later. Oh, yeah. You might be hearing a lot more about it. We might even do uh, an episode uh, regarding a lot of the stuff he's worked on. Yeah, I think I mentioned we did that that interview with him. I'm going to make an episode sooner than later after I get everybody together because of all the quarantine stuff. It's kind of hard to get everyone together from that. Yeah, but I would like to get everyone together and uh, have them share their experience with uh, how our interview went because uh, that was interesting, too. It was, uh, yeah, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to that. It was, it was blasted all over social media and stuff, and I think a ton of people got a kick out of it. It's always interesting. 
Yeah, moving on to our uh, next theory. Yeah, let's uh, get into here. let's get into Jesse James. This was uh, I I've said interesting like ten million times in this podcast, but this one was was interesting too. Yeah, Jesse James is very much a, a folk tale name. The infamous outlaw. Come on, if he was a KGC leader, that would be absolutely insane to think about because he played such a role. And uh, in the West, the Wild West, he's one of those huge names in the in the romance of the Wild West. So, all right, let's let's jump into Jesse James. All right, welcome back, everybody. We're going to talk about the book Rebel Gold now. Uh, this was very interesting because uh, it represents the story of one man and uh, his evolution as a treasure hunter and uh, ultimately some of the stuff that he found uh, with relation to the KGC that really shocked scholars and uh, really proved how uh, how widespread and influential the the KGC were and uh, really proved uh, to Bob Ruer too that the, his entire life that he had pretty much dedicated to finding this this treasure that he had uh, he had heard about from his great grandfather uh, it it proved true and uh, all that work he put in wasn't for nothing. It's very much like a, or at least what I thought of, like a Mel Fisher story. He he heard the story, and uh, he became obsessed with it, and he put in the work, and he was able to finally come up with a, uh, come up with the prize or the the gold that they found. Yeah, and I'm sure all those connections he had really helped him out in his uh, journey to find this treasure. Yeah, he he really put in the work, and the same thing. Like I was. Like I was mentioning with Mel Fisher, what like we talked about with the Spanish treasure episode, both these men really just dedicated their lives to to going after this stuff, and they really put in the effort, and uh, it it ultimately paid off for them. So I'm glad to see I'm glad to see that because uh, these are men that I look up to and uh, men I'd like to be like in the future. So yeah, I'm I'm sure it was it was a whole lot of effort and a whole lot of uh, travel and and research that he was able to create a whole book based off that. Yep, half the battles are research stage. I've learned that <laughs> along the way. Yeah, Mel Fisher was really in, uh, intent on. I mean, not Mel Fisher, John Chatterton. My bad. Mm-hmm. John Chatterton was really uh, intent on telling us that research is mu- much more important than getting in the water. So. Yeah, we got to get that episode up too because uh, uh, it would be real interesting. Uh, I think for you guys to hear. Yeah, I know I said it again. I'm sorry, but. <laughs> <laughs> but uh. John really had an uh, had an intriguing story, and uh, he he went through the same thing that Bob Ruer went through, and that Mel Fisher went through, and the and the fact that he also put in the work, and uh, he went after stuff that nobody believed was uh, possible. So it really, yeah, show, yeah. really shows you what you can do when you put in the put in the effort. All right. Yeah, you're gonna chase your dreams and put all everything you can into them in order to make them a reality. Exactly. All right, so let's get into a let's get into a little background about Bob Brewer and uh, kind of how we got into all this stuff. So pretty much as a boy, uh, Bob Brewer would go hunting in the forests of Arkansas with his great uncle. I said grandfather earlier. I'm sorry, great uncle, who told him after they had who had told him after they found some strange markings on nearby trees. That if he was able to understand stand those, understand God, I can't talk. Sorry, those strange markings, it would lead him to treasure. And after years, he finally broke their codes and found two hundred thousand dollars in coins, silencing all the skeptics. Wow! So, 
Yes, I'll say intriguing. <laughs> how do how did his uncle uh, know about the the markings of the trees? Did That's, he have? A... Yeah, I'll get into that. That's the interesting part because uh, it was supposed that uh, his great uncle may have actually been a been a KGC member because uh, he would go off on these these journeys in the woods for for days on end, saying that he needed to hunt something or someone down. And uh, and uh, chase people off who weren't supposed to be there. Wow! So you have that aspect in the story, which I found especially interesting because, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm trying not to say the word. <laughs> oh my god! You're gonna need to like start a account of how many times I say the word interesting. time you say the word interesting is a uh, is another time i get to punch you <laughs> <laughs> all right so so pretty much if this connection proves true then uh, bob brewer had within his own family line kgc members and so uh that makes it all the more in, intriguing for him because going after this treasure was like going after a uh, a fair, a family heirloom, almost. If you can think about it like that. Yeah, that's a very, uh, a very, it's a very unique way to put it. Because it's stuff that if his great uncle was a KGC member, it was stuff that they had spent years of family lineage protecting. So yeah, it's like almost uh, an ancestry kind of thing. But instead, it's uh. It's like the uh, history behind the society. Yeah. All right. Continue on. Uh, Bob Brewer, he had maintained that his great uncle had maintained a great secret from him. And over the years, Bob has slowly been figuring it out. Like we're talking about his great uncle may have actually been a KGC member himself. And so as uh, the story goes, he has discovered. Or sorry. The story he has discovered is about the Knights of the Golden Circle and the secret Confederate treasure trail he has been following all the way from Canada to the hunt he is doing today in Oklahoma, which is rumored to be $2 million worth in lost Confederate treasure. Dang, that's 10 times as much as he previously found. Yeah, initially he found the 200000 and I, I, I would be happy if I found that alone, but now he's going after the big prize, the $200 million in Oklahoma. The $2 million. Yeah, that's a that's a big cachet. Jeez, wow. that's that's a whole lot of KGC gold there. What's the what's the, what's the rumor behind the two million dollars worth of Confederate treasure? Um, I'm not sure uh, exactly uh, what kind of sentinels hit it or something, but it's like we were saying, uh, you don't hide all your eggs in one basket. So people have caught wind of uh, caches of these gold coins scattered throughout the United States and uh, even on, into Canada. Like Bob said, uh, Bob said he went as far as to look for some of these caches. And so this cache in particular was $2 million. And uh, I'm sure he probably heard about it from, uh, from local people. And uh, like we were talking about the research stage, which is half the battle and trying to figure all this stuff out. Yeah. It's crazy to think about that. The KGC could have been as widespread to go as far as into Canada. 
beyond the south, very beyond the south, through the north, all the way up to Canada. That's amazing to think about. Wow. Uh, so really my bad, you can go. Yeah, it really shows you how how widespread this organization actually was. So, uh, Bob Brewer, tell me a little about him. Like, what does he do? Has he ever appeared on uh, on TV? Oh yeah, he's had a he's had tons of uh, appearances on the History Channel, and uh, he's considered one of the lead historians in uh, the movie National Treasure: Book of Secrets. Actually, uh, for those kind of movies, they'll have a, a historical person that they'll go to for for information and uh they'll kind of use them as a as a guide to make sure that the movies are accurate bob brewer was the one for national treasure book of secrets and then he's also been the author of several books uh i have rebel gold here actually right here in my hand you guys can't see but uh he he co-authored this with uh, a guy named warren gettler who was a an investigative journalist based out of washington dc and uh, if you guys haven't read the book, I highly recommend it because it really showcases some of the work that Bob Brewer does. And uh, it's really his best work and uh, it features a ton of research leads that uh, are even beyond some of the stuff that we've talked about in this three-part series, which I think is long in itself. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, uh, I definitely recommend the book. Yeah, so he's, he's essentially a treasure hunter. Uh, he's a retired man now. And uh, he's been spending his retirement looking for treasure. And uh, I don't blame him. That sounds like a good way to retire for, retire for me. Yeah. I mean, so what exactly was uh, Bob Brewer's connection with the uh, KGC? So you said that his uncle was a, a KGC member. but Yeah, his great uncle was Brewer. supposedly a KGC member. Do you know if Bob Brewer has had any interactions with the KGC himself? That's interesting. Actually, uh, that one I'm I'm not sure of, but uh, it, it's highly possible because uh, he's had a uh, he's had uh, interactions with people, and uh, there was a school teacher where he got a, a map to a uh, one of the caches hid by Jesse James, and the school teacher was only like a, a few generations off from a KGC member himself. So uh, if if not personally, he's definitely had it uh, had it pretty close generationally. Wow! <clears throat> because like like any true secret society, and uh, people consider the Freemason secret society, but no, that's more of a society with secrets. The KGC is really the the secret society, the one that you you don't hear about, you don't see on the news anymore, but it is very maybe possibly still active. Just like uh, the Freemasons, or maybe they have connections with other uh, secret societies, like maybe off uh, offshoots of the Knights Templar. Yeah, Rosicrucians. <laughs> we're gonna we'll talk about them in a in another episode. I think you guys will like that one. We started working on that one, but uh, yeah, that was another connection that they had was with the Rosicrucians, and uh, it's like this huge family tree of secret societies almost, and they they intermingle with each other. So it's, it's intriguing. I stopped myself to see their uh, to see their interaction. It's crazy to think of how influenced the history has been by these secret societies that we hardly ever hear about. Yeah, exactly. It's like this untold history. And uh, yeah, and I I don't like saying the word secret society. I like uh, I 
people historians have coined the the phrase they're not a secret society but a society with secrets Ooh. <laughs> i i really like that angle more though because uh you you do hear about them like the freemasons hear about them in the news the kgc that they're the opposite you don't really hear about them but uh the freemasons you do they're more of a that society of secrets because you you know they're there you just don't know what they do yeah. like i was saying the kgc is very much the opposite of that though you you don't really hear about them anymore All right, and uh, like I was saying, uh, I actually, well, well, talk about this a little bit more before um, before I get into the book. I want to read a little bit from the book for you guys, but I want to say this first. And uh, like I was saying, uh, Rebel Gold it really showcases some of Bob Ruer's best work, and uh, it features a ton of his research leads that are that really really end up surprising you once you read the book and the the connections like you were talking about uh, it really ends up surprising you see how it's all how all related and interconnected and uh far from being just a sinister organization the knights of the golden circle as bob has figured out were very complex and a secretive order bent on hiding their treasure from the unworthy So they were they were very good at what they did. They uh, they hid their treasure well. Bob was able to find some of it, but uh, if there is as much KGC gold as to uh, to hold a civil war, then there's got to be tons more that we still haven't found today. Exactly. Uh, what was it that you wanted to read us? You wanted to read us a summary of the book? Yeah, I was going to read a little bit from the book. Uh, I Kind of like we did with uh, I, the hook decks, I think, during the Templar episode. I'm just going to read the back here for you guys because uh, give you a, it gives you a good idea of what the book's about. And then uh, it talks a little bit and goes in a little bit of depth on uh, what, what Bob's actually done. So I'll read that for you guys. All right, and then this is from the back of the book, like I said. What if a secret society founded during the Civil War accumulated a fortune in gold coins in the hopes of someday funding a second war between the states? What if they buried their treasure in a vast network of remote locations across the South and the Southwestern United States and appointed sentinels to guard them, sentinels who pass the secrets of this treasure from generation to generation? What if the keys to this fantastic treasure were hidden in a series of mysterious coded maps? And Rubble Gold investigative journalist Warren Gettler and Bob Ruery, a descendant of one of the KGC Sentinels, sworn to protect this treasure, uncover the truth behind the legend of this buried gold and the group rumored to have it. The Knights of the Golden Circle. A fast-paced blend of history and modern-day detective story, Rubble Gold reveals a shadowy chapter in American history and how its legacy may be continued to this day. Wow. So is it... That's very... Uh, yeah, it's really cool to see the connections there between the, 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 book, uh, the book mentioning all the Sentinels and KGC generational uh, passing on. Yeah. You know... And I just, I, I even just, as a historian uh, and a, a treasure enthusiast, to say the least, I just love the title, the title in general, or the, the title page, because they, they have a bunch of gold Confederate coins on the cover and then the Confederate flag. So it's it's a very attractive book, too. 
<laughs> Don't judge a book by its cover. Yeah. yeah. Unless it, it has a Confederate flag on it and a bunch of coins. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But hey, I've still read it. It's a good book. So even if the title was uh, all black and black and ugly, uh, it, it's still a good book itself. But yeah. But yeah, you guys should definitely check out that book. It has a lot of uh, interesting topics, and it'll definitely surprise you the stuff you'll find in there. And actually, uh, interestingly, oh my god, I said it again. There you go. Add it to the count. <laughs> Gonna put it in the interesting jar. <laughs> put a dollar in the interesting jar. We should make like a Facebook thing about that. Just like, have the viewers count how many times I say interesting. <laughs> Um, <laughs> anyway, back you. on. Wait, what? I said we'll punish you <laughs> if you say interesting enough times. Great. We'll, <laughs> we'll record a punishment for you. <laughs> Free T-shirt to uh, to whoever catches me saying interesting in the podcast. Can I get the T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, you guys should definitely check out that book. And uh, this was originally published as a as a hardcover book. I have the softcover book, and uh, the original title is actually Shadow of the Sentinel. So, uh, what the KGC members that were hiding and protecting this gold were were called the Sentinels, and it, it mentioned on on the back of the cover. And I, I read that to you guys, and uh, that's the that's the official name of these people who had the Confederate treasure, the KGC treasure. And uh, now it's obviously called Rebel Gold in the soft cover edition. Awesome. So yeah, I think that's about everything we have. Yeah, it, uh, it took us a while, but uh, I think it was a very intriguing and a very intriguing series. And uh, we went down a went down a lot of rabbit holes and uh, came back alive. And uh, a lot of the stuff we talked about was. Uh, very intriguing. Yeah, um, definitely our longest series by far. Yeah, but I hope you guys enjoyed it. I know. Yeah, we had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, I know I did, but obviously I'm a little biased being the being the host. But, <laughs> but yeah, I yeah, think it was. Yeah, it's really fun. Uh, probably right. won't be getting any any more three part series for a while. Yeah, hopefully this, not. This one was really long, and we just wanted to get everything in there because it's such a captivating topic. Yeah, and sorry with uh, even the the pause between part two and part three. We were uh, we were preoccupied with other stuff. Yeah, but uh, and yeah, you can go. Sorry. And like uh, the pause between part two and part three, there's we were having a lot of difficulties with uh, anchor as well. But in the end, we figured it out. Yeah, I was acting up. It was it was some weird stuff. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it, was, it was being kind of weird. Is uh, recording us when we didn't want it to record us, and not recording us when we did. Yeah, it took like an hour long of us like talking and in, uh, in intermission, and it recorded that instead of the the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> New <But yeah>. order. <laughs> But it's still it's still working wonders for us. Other than that, yeah, it's it's been all right. It's it's doing its job when it needs to. 
All right. That's that's about it for the book Rebel Gold. Wrap yeah, it up we'll wrap and then uh yeah, next time we'll have a have another episode out for you guys. So let's get into the conclusion now. All right, guys, we'll wrap it up and then next week we'll have another episode on a historical subject. I'm not too uh, I'm not too sure what it will be about, but uh, I'm, I know it's going to be something interesting because uh, I've had a few ideas floating around in my head and uh, all of them are intriguing. See, I stopped myself again. <laughs> all of them are uh, in- intriguing, at least in at least in my eyes. And like again, I'm I'm biased though because I'm the host. <laughs> we hope you guys will find it as uh, interesting as we do. Oh, does, does, does it count if you say it? <laughs> no, I don't say it as much as you do. It doesn't count. I'm allowed to. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> There's no other way to put it. It's just interesting. I hope you guys can. You hope you guys find it just as interesting as we find it. That's twice. If you keep if you keep saying it, we're gonna have to start one for you. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll stop. <laughs> all right. As usual, we'd uh, we'd like to give a shout out to Anchor, our podcasting service that's been a miracle in making these episodes, and uh, really couldn't have done it without it. And like we we're saying, it's been a, it's been a little weird recently, but uh, it's it's been doing its job when it needs to. So, not not too many not too many complaints yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> once it once it starts recording me in my sleep, then I'll have some complaints. <laughs> oh my. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure. As long as that doesn't happen, probably keep with it. Yeah, I mean, it, it hasn't been bad, and uh, I, I probably probably shouldn't be talking too much crap because uh, they do sponsor us. But it's been a, uh, they they have been good when we need them. All right. More importantly, uh, we'd like to give a shout out to some of you guys as our listeners. And uh, we thank you for we we give a huge shout out to those of you who have uh, who've been like who have liked and been following the Facebook page. And uh, uh, because of you, uh, we're, we're really growing as a podcast. We got, I think uh, 53 people up there now. Uh, let's keep it growing. Let's get some more people. Be awesome. to Be awesome to have a uh, hundred. Like I was saying, if we get to a hundred subscribers or hundred listeners, uh, I'll do something crazy for that episode around that time. Yeah. Let's help, uh, help us reach our sub goal. Yeah. For you guys and for us, because uh, it, it would really be something that you might enjoy. Might enjoy that episode. You never know. Yeah, <laughs> I know that this is a this is an early podcast. We're still learning, but the the longer we go, the farther we go, the better the quality will get. We're getting a new mic, so that'll be good. Look forward to that. Yeah, if quarantine wasn't a uh, wasn't halting Amazon and making Amazon take forever, we'd already have it. Yeah. God. <laughs> Freaking coronavirus! <laughs> it's been a been a been a little bit of a mess. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been oh god, it's been intriguing. <laughs> it's been intriguing to uh, to say the least because the us as a as a podcast and uh, if you guys listen to some other podcasts, you're probably going through uh, similar things. Uh, it's kind of hard to record uh, if you're doing it with other people because uh, you're you're not supposed to be with other people with the whole self isolation and the quarantine thing. It's a, uh, it's a little bit harder to film some of these, but we're, we're doing our best and uh, hopefully it's not too been too bad for you guys. And uh, like I we was saying afterwards, after quarantine, uh, we'll already have the mic and then uh, we'll do some more 
in-person stuff and then uh we'll do some uh do some more live episodes too and uh, i have uh heard uh, a lot of really good comments from you guys with uh, the live episode and the uh, live episodes that we've done so uh, i i plan to do more of those we just it's kind of hard to do so until uh we can we can all get back together again and do a do a podcast yeah I have a I have a few people in the queue that I'd like to put on the podcast for you guys and I'd like to introduce you to but uh it's it's difficult to do so right now with everything that's been going on. But yeah, all that being said, thanks you guys for uh yeah. for tuning in. So all, that's really all I got to say. You got anything else before we close up, Ian? Uh nothing in particular. Uh we had a lot of fun with this series. Um Yeah, I did for sure. Yeah. Just tune in for the next one, and uh, I uh, uh, we're working on another one, the Rosicrucians. That one I'm excited about. Yeah, that one should but be interesting. Ah, oh, I said it again. <laughs> <laughs> but that one might not be coming out for a little bit. We got a bunch of stuff planned. We don't know what's gonna see what you guys are gonna see first. Yeah, I actually got a I got a series that's gonna go out before that Rosicrucian episode. So uh, you guys got a head start on hearing about that one. And uh, Ian doesn't even know about this series that I'm gonna put out after the after our Confederate treasure episode is all over. Yeah, we got a, a special guest for you guys. I don't. Uh, I'm not in this series though. Yeah, you don't. You don't even know who it is yet. <laughs> no, I don't. He's refused to tell me. Yeah, but look forward to that. Have to wait and see. That's my way of making you. Uh, you making you listen on Spotify more. <laughs> Yeah, thank you guys for listening, and uh, we'll see you in the next one. Yeah, thank you guys. Carpet Dime. Carpet Dime.